So, so you guys, as we talked about earlier, had a lot in common in the sense that you have this foundational understanding of biology, and you've you've you both are now, you know, Dr. Dolberry, Dr. Wilson. You've gone your your different educational paths and in, in, in impacting the planet in ways that I think are really relevant right now in this conversation. But you have this other thing going on. So, Brad, you work in you're a geneticist, and you work in fertility uh, as well currently, right? Correct, correct. Or you have some, yeah, okay. So I pulled a couple stats. I want to ask about it because I've, it, it, the stuff that I was reading is just incredible to me as a person who knows nothing uh, technically about fertility, but I have a functional knowledge of how to reproduce. <laughs> uh, one, in six couple, one in six couples attempting pregnancy will have difficulty achieving pregnancy. And then further down in my stats list, there's something that really strikes me. It says, Fertility declines in men after age 50, and fertility declines in women after age 30, which to me seems like we should be having conversations with our kids about their dating habits, right? Should I not be telling all my sons, look, dude, you need to date younger women? And, and to my daughter, should I not be saying, look, you probably need to get with an older dude? Or what are we saying? We're, what do you think about that? Is there a social side to this reproductive science what do you think? Wow, that's that's interesting. Uh, so, in terms of the scientific aspect of it, yeah, uh, fertility, well, the nature of it, um, in terms of females being born with all their eggs, essentially, um, so all the eggs that they release on a monthly uh, cyclical basis after the onset of puberty or after puberty starts, they release an egg or maybe one or two every month. Uh, but by the time they get to thirty, those eggs are also thirty years old. Um, and, uh, what happens is you have genetic mutations that can occur over time. Mm. So the, uh, genetic integrity or the integrity of the DNA in those eggs starts to deteriorate after you get after 30. Uh, so then, then when you get to about 35 is then when you have after 35 is where you start to have an increased occurrence of more, um, issues, uh, genetic issues at, at that point. All right. And then, um, so you know, at that as opposed to males, where we're constantly producing uh, sperm, mm-hmm. so it's and you know on a daily daily basis. Uh, so there, although there are um, genetic issues and infertility issues uh, on the male side as well, um, and they are so just to add a couple more stats to your uh, list there. So in terms of all the infertility cases, about roughly about a third of them are due to an issue with women, roughly a third are due to issues in men, and roughly in the remainder are um, essentially uh, unknown or unidentified. What is that, like environmental stuff or just like really unknown? Really, no, in terms of uh, unknown cause, mm-hmm. unknown causes. Sounds like somebody had their thumb on the scale in that, in that one third, one third, like, you know, so couples don't be fighting. You know it's likely to be your fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's the that's the misnomer. Most people think it's most often the female's fault. Mm-hmm. And in terms of you have couples that are going through uh, trying to you know on their path to parenthood that they don't even test the male. 
Mm. You know, but often this case is that the male might be the issue. So are there are there compatibility issues like if that male or that female had a different partner that those issues might disappear? Does it exist that it's just this pairing of these two people that, that could pose a problem? Well, in terms of the causes of infertility with respect to each gender, they're different. Uh, for females, for women, um, one of the top causes of infertility is something called polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, that is a condition where um, uh, it's related to ovulation and where um, the, the egg that's supposed to be released from the ovary, it fails to reach maturity. Mm-hmm. And then it remains in the ovary and then forms somewhat of a cyst uh, that was that the, the follicle that the egg was developing in so forms a cyst. And then when you when that woman gets an ultrasound of her ovary, um, you can see the cysts on the ovary and they look like a string of pearls. It's a, uh, is what they how they refer to. So that's mm-hmm. one main issue. A second main issue with females in terms of their fertility is a condition called endometriosis. Um, that's another one that involves the lining of the uterus. And it is. It is a very uh, interesting disease in that it, it has some similarities to cancer and that it's an overgrowth of tissue and then that tissue can invade and seed other parts of the body and continue to grow. Um, so you have those two things that are major on the women's side. And then you can have other issues too. You can have obstructive issues with the block fallopian tube or something like that, or it could be, you know, there's some other issues that can happen as well. And then on the, on the male side, it could be uh, a sperm production issue. Uh, it could be something called uh, oligospermia or low sperm count or azospermia, which is no uh, zero sperm count. Uh, those are a couple of things that can happen on the male side. So it's kind of gender specific. And then um, depending upon the age uh, demographic, there's a different breakdown of the issues that happen as well. Okay. What's, can you describe for me the, the science of the day? You know, so in the 2020 context, when you're doing a consult with a couple who um, is having some, some fertility issues, what are the options available to that, to that couple? What does the science offer them? It's funny. I just actually finished a lecture on this uh, to my class in terms of uh, genomics and, and uh, human reproduction. So, there are a few different places that the science of genetics and genomics can come in uh, to play uh, with this. So the first is what's called like fertility wellness testing. Actually, that's kind of what, uh, that's exactly what the company I work for does. We have a direct consumer genetic test where we can test for some things uh, that have been associated with infertility, right? These are not, this is not a diagnostic test in any way. Uh, but it tests for some wellness uh, traits and characteristics that have been known to impact fertility. For example, um, I mentioned PCOS. What clinicians and um, doctors are saying about PCOS is that what's really driving that is insulin resistance, right? So now insulin resistance is what also actually drives obesity. And obesity is a common cofactor or... um, is a common comorbidity of PCOS, uh, often commonly found in women with PCOS. However, there are there's a large population of women who are not 
are obese and who have PCOS as well. Mm -hmm. But that insulin resistance is driving, is thought to be driving the uh, obesity, which is thought to be driving, uh, well, PCOS has, is an issue with uh, hormones, hormonal imbalance in terms of an excess of androgen or a male type of hormone production in, in females. And that hormone, those hormones are preventing the development uh, of that egg and what kind of caused that problem. So what we find is it's a cycle. Insulin driving the obesity, obesity driving the androgens, and the androgens preventing the ovulation of the egg. And then, and then the cycle continues mm. back around with um, uh, the insulin production increasing and the insulin resistance worsening and then uh, the cycle continuing. So that's with um, PCOS. So we have markers on our panel for PCOS as well and for insulin resistance and for things like genetic weight and some, so that's, so that's fertility wellness testing, right? So that's kind of like a direct consumer. It's nothing, it doesn't involve a, a clinician, a doctor or anything. You can just order that on, online. Then the next level you have is something called carrier screening where this is a clinical genetic testing where you have uh, known conditions that have known uh, variants that are uh, causal to those conditions. And then you can get screened uh, to see if you have any of these variants ahead of you know, trying to start your family so that you can potentially take some steps to prevent your child from having those conditions, right? And then that leads into the third level, which is what we call... Um, uh, pre-implantation genetic testing. Um, so this is common in the IVF space or in vitro fertilization space where mm -hmm. people uh, having infertility issues, they'll have and they'll have some embryos uh, produced via IVF and then they want to test those embryos to make sure that they don't have any major genetic issues that would, you know, be a challenge to raise a child with. So then you can select for the embryo that doesn't make sure, you do the testing on the embryo to make sure that there are no genetic problems going on there before it gets implanted mm -hmm. um, through your uh, assisted reproductive technology procedure or what have you. Uh, so those are kind of the three areas where the science of genetics comes in. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure, we, we talked about it uh, on email, but if there was a movie back in the 90s called Gattaca where Blair Underwood played the role of a geneticist, and, you know, the couple, like, come in uh, for their second child, and they were doing just this. They're, like, you know, design a baby type of deal. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, that's, that kinda... I love that movie, number one. I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out. That was uh, Jude Law and uh, yeah. Ethan yep. Hawke. Right? And Phoenix. Uma Thurman. Yep. What? Yep. Oh, it wasn't it Jude Law. I thought it was, I thought it was Joaquin Phoenix. Okay. No, nah, nah, Jude Law and Jude Ethan Hawke. Jude Law, Hulk. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was some imaginary future, like, uh, I don't even know if that was post-apocalyptic or was it uh, utopian, uh, dystopian. I don't know which way we're going with that one, where we, where we categorize that movie. But whenever that was in the future, it was, like you said, the design a baby thing. Like, So how far in our imagination are we from that? Is there any traces of that now where you can, I know you can kind of screen for things, but can you actually kind of toggle things on and off at all? So that is where the, a lot of the controversy is right now. Um, so there's a new science out there um, 
uh, it's generally called gene editing, right? And there are a couple of different ways that can be done. One of the more popular ways that has been um, that's in the media is what they call CRISPR-Cas. I'm not sure if you heard of that. Mm-mm. It's an enzymatic system that's borrowed from some bacteria that can cut DNA at specific uh, locations, and then you can splice in um, code or uh, DNA that uh, to repair or correct whatever genetic mutation or variant is there. Mm-hmm. So that's what people are talking about. We have restrictions on the use of this technology in humans here in the States. But of course, <laughs> we live in an international community and there are these restrictions may not be found in other places. Right, right. So they're trying to create uh, Ivan Drago somewhere right now so he can break... Mr. Balboa. Fortunately, and and the possibilities of things that people are attempting to do at this point in time. Right. um, That would definitely um, uh, raise some ethical issues. Right. (laughs) People of a certain age, men of a certain age, um, looking at now because, you know, the average age of, of, you know, having your first child has gone up. I would assume also genetic testing, pre-screening, things like IVF have have increased. So what are, and I know, again, it's it's very specific to where you live and all those kind of things. You're, uh, you know, North Carolina, someone wants to come into a fertility clinic. They've said, okay, we've tried, we're struggling. What would that process look like? How much might they, let's say they need the, the most extensive, they need in vitro fertilization. We're going to, you know, we're going to do the test tube baby thing. What, what are the costs that are associated with that? From my knowledge, based on um, what I understand, the average cost of an IVF cycle um, is in the range of ten to $12,000. Um, and I'm not quite certain if that's come down. I would imagine that it's probably come down um, in price. Of course, since the beginning of, you know, since this technology has been made available, I would definitely uh, think that the price has come down. I mean, yeah. the first genome cost like a hundred million dollars, and yeah, now about to be six hundred dollars, about six to eight hundred dollars. So yeah, I would wow. imagine that it was more expensive, but that's one cycle. Right. Often a couple, a couple will need to go through two, three, four cycles in order to, you know, successfully uh, produce an embryo. So yeah. it can it can add up, you know, significantly. Right. right? Yeah. Right. I want to go two ways. I'm going to go the the sci-fi way first and then come back and I'm going to ask you for some real advice for couples who may be struggling with fertility now. But but let's go have fun for a second first. How far are we away from the ability to use some of the technology from, you know, the genetic screening stuff that that's that's happening right now in IVF to make a ubiquitous solution to kind of predetermine our our uh, our out our offspring's predetermination for cancer or for other types of disease. Is it even in the imagination of the science yet to say that hey man we can get to a point within our lifetime that a parent could know in advance like this particular embryo may have a high propensity for cancer, blah blah blah. Oh yeah, that's that's well th- that time is now. I mean to to know for for cancer, cancer screening is or can- predisposition to cancer is one thing because that's. That's kind of cancer pretty much led the way in terms of genetics in in 
the clinical setting because of the fact that you're looking at these tumors that have that can have different molecular things going on, uh, things going on at a molecular level. Mm. So genetic testing was kind of, um, that's what broke, broke ground into the clinical arena first uh, in terms of cancer genetics. Uh, they've been on the forefront. Um, but in terms of pre so predisposition to cancer is something you can find out now. That's what that's a that's but is comes that, with is it only for IVF? Screening. No, that's carrier screening. Okay, you, you as any individual can go in and get carrier screening done. Nice, uh, and you don't have to go to you can get that direct to consumer as well. You don't even need your doctor for that. So you can go to one of these companies out here that does it, and um, they can take a cheek a cheek swab and you send it to the lab and well actually no. For that, they may need a sperm sample. Mm -hmm. Got plenty but of that. It's, the carry screening is available. <laughs> right, <it's> carry. <laughs> uh, carry screening is available. So that, that can be done now. So you can figure out if you have, if you're carrying uh, genes that are predisposed to cancer right mm -hmm. now. Okay, cool. How about for females? For them, um, I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't think germ cells are necessary. I think they can be done from somatic cells. Um, but the most accurate testing would be done on a germ cell or an egg or a sperm cell. Right. Um, in terms of those are the cells that you're going to get passed on to the next generation. That's awesome. What is your, I know you're very involved in the science, uh, in terms of behavioral stuff, what advice do you have for couples who are, you know, in that stage of their, of their life and look and maybe having some, some difficulty? Well, just to, uh, to, to frame that, to frame my response to that, so infertility is kind of defined as the inability to uh, conceive a child after 12 months of unprotected intercourse. So if there has been a couple that's out been trying out there, out there trying for one year or more, I would say to them, first, take a look at yourself, or do you have any health issues? Often health issues can impact uh, infertility, uh, impact fertility, excuse me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, you know, obesity, you know, uh, obesity or being overweight, uh, you know, other chronic diseases can impact uh, infertility. So that would be the first thing. Try to get healthy. If you're trying to, um, you know, have children and you've been unsuccessful, try to get healthier as an individual first and that may resolve the issue. Women with PCOS, there's way to, ways to manage it, and they can get become pregnant. Women with endometriosis, there are ways to management, and they can also become pregnant. Beyond that, uh, if there's an issue with the male uh, in the couple, then they're gonna you know need some help, right? Mm -hmm. um, potentially, but I would say starting off with making getting yourself as healthy as possible if you are having health issues, and then they may. That may help, you know, help you um, have some success on your fertility journey. Nice. But then after that, um, then it's time to go see a professional. You go see an OBGYN and then potentially get referred to a, um, a reproductive endocrinologist who can do some more testing because then they might look at hormone levels to see what's going on or, you know, we have to determine what the issue is. Is it an ovulation issue? Is it an anatomical issue? Is it a sperm production issue? So then men, you know, there's some testing that has to get done for that couple at that point. Right. Uh, but then, you know, that's when they're in the good hands there, you know, good clinicians out there, like a reproductive uh, endocrinologist, they can get them 
some additional testing and then start to narrow down or start to rule out uh, the, the reasons that they're been unsuccessful. Now that shoot, that does give me a lot to give me a lot to, to, to chew on. I definitely, um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very and, robust and is, information. Is this, man, I was a little bit surprised because honestly, this is something that you don't really hear about in our community. Right. Mm, right. You don't really hear about infertility issues in, in African American community. It's like we always hear about it's like we're on the opposite end. It's like you don't have it out here too having too many kids. Right. right? You know, and, and, and taxing public public systems and all that. But there it impacts us. Um so there's a national PCOS um foundation. It's actually executive directed by a fellow bison, uh Sasha Adi. Um she founded that organization. She has PCOS. It impacts women of color, uh, which is something that I was um, a little bit surprised to find out that, you know, it happened. I actually have a friend here in, in Charlotte. Well, he and his wife, they had to get IVF to have for their two sons. Mm. So um, it, it's something that's really impacts our community more than you think. Uh, the Endometriosis Foundation, I mean, and for endometriosis, same, similarly. There's an organization called Endo Black out there for women. That's mm-hmm. founded by African-American women because mm-hmm. women of color are suffering from this, this issue, too. Uh, so, again, it, it was something that was a little bit surprising to me and that it was um, something that was impacting uh, our community at the level that it is. But it, it's, it's out there. It's happening. It's, we're, we're not excluded. We're not excluded from this. You know? We're not right. immune. That's fantastic. Last piece, totally off the wall. Let's say my dog is dying and I really love my dog. Can I get my dog cloned? I have enough money. I'm sure you can. They you used to. Ha- yeah. I, I mean, I'm not sure what the restrictions are on animal cloning here in the U.S., but buy yourself a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> they used to have this because when I was teaching uh, ninth grade biology, we would use the website. This was um after Dolly the Sheep and everything, maybe about five, six years after that. And people, it was before it became regulated. So there were people who had cloned. They had cloned like one or two successfully. They could only do dogs, if I'm not mistaken. And that's long since been shut down. You know, this, you can't do it. But, <laughs> well, let me rephrase. Here. That's long since. Their website disappeared. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. <laughs> whether you could get your pet clone by them still i don't and i'm trying to remember so it was in the movies they had they, they called repet and i remember there was the yep. movie what, what movies were they it had was arnold schwarzenegger was in that movie yeah and so we would take I, I watched like a little clip of that movie and then we would go to that website man i can't remember the name of that website <laughs> but we were like this is the real life version of repet and so then we would look at like bioethics and that kind of thing um but learn a little bit about genetics and and cloning um, damn, I wish I could remember the name of that website. I've got plenty of kids. They're all mine. <laughs> and they all live in my house at some point or another. But if I couldn't in some alternate universe, I would definitely be looking at the Django Fett Bubble Fett situation. I don't know how much I would be able to tolerate my young self, but it would be interesting. Wow. <laughs> hey, Dr. Brad Wilson, Dr. Maurice Dolberry, thanks so much. This will officially be called the fertility episode. I know you're going to get a whole bunch of requests for, you know, information. How do you want people to contact you or look you up, Brad? Uh, I would direct them to my work email at brad at medanswers.com. B-R-A-D 
at M-E-D-A-N-S-W-E-R-S.com. Dude, when that thing blows up, do not blame me. Thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been fantastic, and on to the next. Absolutely.